Hello there, I'm Susan Bradley and welcome to the Four Modern Mothers podcast, a podcast dedicated to mothers and mothers-to-be, here to help you navigate your own unique journey through modern motherhood. In each episode, there'll be insights and wisdom. We'll be covering everything from fertility and trying to conceive to pregnancy and birth and onwards through your life as a mother. Expect conversations around subjects and issues that will support, inspire, inform, and empower you. From health and well-being, to body image, self-care, mental health, birth, pregnancy, work-life balance, relationships, the whole lot. With my specially invited guests and experts, as well as sharing my own knowledge with you. Enjoy and don't forget to subscribe too. Great, so welcome everyone. So um, today's podcast I'm really excited about. Um, it is going to be all about a topic that's always really popular with, with people, with mums, um, mums-to-be as well in my classes and courses, um, and all to do with baby sleep and where babies should sleep, where they can sleep, um, where it's safe for them to sleep. And there's lots of myths around that and lots of um, things that people are told, things that might be common practice, products that are sold to help babies sleep. Um, but I've got to, with me today um, someone who is actually a scientist and a researcher all around baby sleep. So this is actually getting the evidence, if you like, to make decisions rather than just something somebody told you, something you read in the book, some information which may be out of date, perhaps, um, actually getting some some facts and then from those facts you can obviously make choices that suit you and your family so this is a lovely welcome to um to Alice um and you're probably much better Alice at introducing yourself or what you do um that would be great yeah um I'm Alice I'm from Durham, Durham Infant Tea and Sleep Centre and we also run a resource called the Baby Sleep Information Source and um, at the Infancy and Sleep Centre, we look at all aspects of parenting, infant sleep. Um, I think we've got studies running up to adolescent sleep at the moment, but our real focus is on infant sleep, co-sleeping, safe infant sleep, um, and biologically normal infant sleep. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Bi what's biologically normal? Because what's biologically normal is probably what is not what we culturally in today's society think of is is how babies are expected to sleep would that be would I be right in that yeah so um the reason that we frame it that way is because much of what we used to think about how babies sleep comes from um research that was done in the 1940s the 1950s with babies who were given artificial formula milk and so a lot and most of them were done in laboratory conditions so we don't know well we didn't know much about how babies were sleeping in normal conditions in people's homes and babies that were breastfed so when we talk about biologically normal sleep we usually frame that through the idea that they're breastfed babies so that's how they um, are biologically program to sleep because they're given the food that they would be have been given historically yeah. um and so that's why we say that and that's where 
um, some of the research that we've done differ, the results differ from um, the research that was done in the 1940s and 50s. And by understanding where those differences are, we can help to contextualize those differences and um, to try and understand why we have uh, this difference between cultural ideas of how babies should be sleeping, which are based on these studies that were done with babies that were given artificial formula or in conditions that weren't realistic or in home settings. Yeah, yeah, of course. That must, yeah, it's very different, isn't it? In a, not in a home in the, in the normal way. Of course, that would be, I imagine, really different. So, so you're getting actual real information from real babies in real settings in real situations definitely and um there's also a lot of research that's done on parental report of infant sleep so that's parents reporting how the last night went or keeping sleep diaries and although this is useful to an extent um we've done a lot of video studies so that's observing people sleeping with their babies and when you compare the two different kinds of research methods you can see that there's obviously a lot more happening throughout the night that parents aren't recording so maybe babies are waking a lot more often than the parents think they're just not signaling to the parents that they are waking um or parents just forgetting what happens throughout the night um if we talk about co-sleeping, mothers might be breastfeeding more than they think they're breastfeeding throughout the night. Um, if babies are latching on and mothers are hardly waking and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's really important to pick apart. And I suppose that's what we do. And then we're trying to translate that information to parents um, that not all information is created equal and to try and understand um, whether uh, the information is realistic in what it conveys about infant sleep. Yeah. And then from your from your research, basically, that is, has been taken on board and then, you know, guidelines are set, aren't they? So organisations will take that research, obviously, um, and then from there advise what is considered to be best practice and what is safe to do and best thing to do for parents and, and babies sleeping. Is that right? Yeah, so that's kind of the aim of our research. It'd be great to have those kind of outcomes that we can influence policy and practice. Um, there's been a few, so uh, we've worked with the Lullaby Trust and UNICEF to um, update guidelines that they're giving, the recent NICE guideline update, which encouraged healthcare professionals to talk about co-sleeping and bed sharing with parents and to empower parents to make informed decisions about their baby's sleep. Um, that was something that uh, we um, collaborated with NICE on that and um, worked with them to update the evidence based on what we've been doing and what we know the research has been telling us about infant sleep and yeah. safe sleep and safe sleep exactly because that's always the thing isn't it that, that, that people worry about and I know some people will will tell me and, and, and some people will say oh and I've heard this from many many people um you shouldn't co-sleep mm -hmm. um that it is dangerous um for the baby and that isn't the case is it in not in every instance, but actually more recent studies that you've done have actually shown that um, it isn't a dangerous practice. So um, I think, yeah, what we're trying to argue 
Um, and with this updated NICE guidelines, are that parents need to be informed to make their own decisions. So um, at we're anthropologists, so we have this anthropological perspective that we use, and this has helped us to understand um, the nuance in this, these kind of messages that parents get. So we know that um, sleeping with babies is kind of a, is a historical, it's a historical norm, and it's something that people do in many cultures all over the world and have done for thousands and thousands of years. We're actually abnormal in the way that we try and separate mothers and babies at night and um, we know that there are many people in many cultures that sleep with their babies and don't um, their babies aren't put at any risk um, sudden infant death syndrome is a is kind of unique to industrialized societies rich industrialized societies um, and it hasn't really been observed in cultures that are not industrialized um, and most of those cultures co-sleep as a normative practice and it would be seen very unusual for separating mothers and babies at night um, and so that's kind of why we were interested in co-sleeping because we could see that um, there was something happening that was different that we were doing that was different and um, this was obviously having consequences. And we also know cross-culturally, so there are many cultures um, in Japan, it's very, very normal to sleep with babies. We know um, Pakistani populations in the UK, co-sleeping is very common, and those cultures have very, very low rates of sudden infant death syndrome. But it's more about the environments that they're creating when they're co-sleeping not necessarily co-sleeping as a practice itself and so it's where co-sleeping intersects with the kind of sleeping environments that we tend to have in the UK um, in the USA and in these industrialized cultures that I'm talking about and so that might be sleeping in a bed with um, soft bedding lots of pillows heavy duvets so that creates a risk of overheating um, head covering and potential suffocation. Also, um, rates of smoking. So, mothers, parents that are more babies of parents who smoke, uh, much increased risk of sudden death syndrome. Parents who have consumed drugs or alcohol before going to sleep, and also falling asleep with a baby on a sofa. So, um, even though we're talking about bed sharing, co-sleeping, co-sleeping on a sofa is a huge risk factor and it's really important to distinguish that from sleeping in a bed with a baby. Mm. But all of these things um, we are more likely to do in our Western industrialized societies that we live in. And so those are the things that are really creating these harmful environments for babies. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's not the practice itself, it's everything around it because I guess if we went much further back we would all as humans have just slept together on the floor in a cave all the whole family the whole tribe whatever it was um, as other mammals do they all kind of snuggle up together don't they it's safety it's warmth it's food for babies obviously from feeding it's it kind of makes a lot of sense for survival um, and yet we've come to think that one of the first things we need to buy when we're thinking, or we think about the baby's room, getting the baby's room ready mm. as a separate room. And then we think about buying a cot as a separate place for the baby to sleep. And they're probably 
the first things that people think about when they get pregnant or one of the first things which is fascinating isn't it that's become the cultural norm as you say yeah it's really interesting because people do fixate on the baby's room but they don't think about sleep so in this kind of way that parents once they have a baby feel I think um kind of jarred about how their baby's sleeping and find it really hard to adjust and they also um they think about the baby's room and the, the cot, but they don't think about the potential that they might be sleeping in other situations. They think everything's going to be ideal. Um, mm. And we have like all these conflicting narratives, but that aren't helpful at all. So we have, everyone knows that babies don't sleep, but people also think that their babies will sleep. And it's really strange because it would be, you know, we want parents to acknowledge that their babies won't sleep the way they want them to sleep. Yet people seem to think, oh, I know that already because I know they won't sleep, but they don't seem to really be able to conceptualize what that is going to be like and how that's going to play out in the way that they care for their babies. And I think that's something that we're quite passionate about is trying to get people to think about these things before they have a baby, because one of the... Um, the most dangerous situations when we're thinking about co-sleeping, whether that uh, be on a sofa, in a bed, is unplanned co-sleeping mm. and bed sharing. If people are aware that it might happen and aware of things that they can do to mitigate the risks when it is happening, then um, they can practice safe co-sleeping. It's just when they fail to think about what might they might do and then they're put in a situation where they're extremely tired, um, the baby's sick, the baby's crying a lot, they don't know what to do, that they might bring the baby into bed or go and sleep on a sofa with the baby and then actually creating a much more dangerous environment for the baby. And so it's really, really important that parents stop and have this conversation. I think it's really important that mothers get a lot of this information from their midwives and dads might not be getting this information as and so it's left to mothers to kind of filter this information to their partners. They might not understand the kind of nuance um, or the messages that they're getting from healthcare professionals. And so um, that might just get translated as don't bring the baby into bed. If we don't bring the baby into bed, everything's going to be fine. And then when it's the middle of the night and they're exhausted and the baby won't settle unless it's close to a caregiver and they're lying in bed, then they need to know what they're going to do. And, um, and I think one of the easiest ways to create a safe sleep space is uh, to make a plan what the partner's going to do in the night because the partner might um, have consumed alcohol. The mother might know what they've done, but they don't necessarily know whether their partner has also um, kind of complying with safe sleep. So um, I think rather than fixating on making a baby's room, it's much more productive to create a room where one of the parents can go and sleep if they're really struggling throughout the night. And then that means at least they can be more supportive for their partner as well, if they can go into a quiet room and get a good night's sleep when their partner's doing the caregiving. And then hopefully the next night they can be there to support their partner more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's that, I think it's like that, it's it's giving the information isn't it but also it needs to be I think a visual thing you know if you had it's all very well someone talking to you about what it is but um 
and I know in the, the lullaby trust and things there's like you know some images of what it looks like the things that you need to have taken care of in terms of pillows and like you're saying soft furnishings and heavy duvets and and you know um maybe gaps and things and obviously mm -hmm. the danger of the baby rolling out of the bed and, and how to mitigate all those things so both parents know what that should be set up like and what it looks like so they can kind of you know almost like blue tack it on the wall above the bed so you can go this is how we do it safely um and we both know that yeah definitely and um yeah and we are talking again to go back to dads we are talking about mums sleeping with babies but dads are going to be sleeping with babies at points throughout the night um we have noticed doing these video studies that breastfeeding mothers tend to adopt this position that we call the protective C or the cuddle curl. So this is where um, they lie on their side. They have the baby's head um, level with their breast. They'll have their arm above the baby's head and their knees bent up. So they're almost in a C position. And this means that because their legs are bent up and they're lying on their side, there's no way that they can roll on top of their babies. It also means when they have their arms out, they're protecting their baby from pillows or any soft furnishings. And it means that babies have access to the breast so they can breastfeed throughout the night. Um, and we've, we've observed breastfeeding mothers doing this, um, but we haven't observed non-breastfeeding mothers or mothers that have never breastfed doing this and we don't have the research looking at whether dads do this but by understanding that this is a protective position to sleep in um, it's something that parents can do whether they're breastfeeding or not um, to adopt this kind of position where they know that they're protecting their baby um, you talked about um, gaps and things down the side of the bed um, I think people worry about the baby rolling out of the bed, but then sometimes this means they can push the bed up against the wall, but then that can create a gap, uh, a kind of an, an entrapment risk. And actually sometimes it's better to have the bed away from a wall, but if you're lying in this protective C position, then um, you'll either be using your body to um, as a buffer between the edge of the bed, or if you have your arm around the baby, you'll be aware if the baby's getting to the close to the, the edge, close to the edge of the bed. Um, so there are things that parents can do, like sleeping in the seat, protective seat position, um, making sure that they don't have heavy bedding and things like that that we discussed, yeah. um, and just being aware of their risk factors and whether. Um, the baby if the baby's born premature and things like that so babies that have um, underlying vulnerabilities um, it can be more dangerous for them to bed share so parents really need to understand where their baby's risk is um, what kind of external risk factors they have so like I said consuming alcohol taking drugs any kind of drugs that impair sleep so not just illegal drugs but maybe prescribed drugs that might impact on sleep quality um, so it could be something like you've had some night nurse or your exactly. partner has, because that's a sedative, isn't it? It says don't take it. It could make you drowsy and all the rest of it. So again, if you've had that, then you don't, you know, co-sleeping wouldn't be advisable in that situation. Yeah. Because you think, oh yeah, who would, or people don't generally, you know, aren't taking illegal drugs, but you don't think about other, yeah, like you're saying, prescription drugs that people might be taking. Yeah, so it's really important to think um, about what your risk factors might be and how that might impact um, 
your risk of SIDS, but it's also um, important to remember that co-sleeping has lots of benefits. So um, for many people, it's um, a really good way of getting more sleep and actually maybe being asleep deprived is more dangerous for you and your baby. You might fall asleep in more dangerous situations if you don't um, co-sleep safely in a bed. You might fall asleep on a sofa or in a chair. Um, you might not if you might be incapable of parenting well if you're tired. And so it's really important to remember these um, to weigh this up, this risk with the benefits. And um, also the um, relationship between breastfeeding and bed sharing is really, really important. Um, breastfeeding people who breastfeed are more likely to bed share and people that bed share are more likely to breastfeed for longer and more often and so um, in the early days when people are establishing breastfeeding breastfeeding more often can lead um, to better milk supply and things like that so it can be really really helpful and people I think because it helps with nighttime caregiving and it helps um, it's easy to just latch the baby on throughout the night when it's in bed means that people can go tend to breastfeed for longer so for more months if they are if they do bed share with their babies yeah and is it that um some people obviously there's people there's different ways of doing it isn't there there is you know having the baby in your bed or having like a, a sidecar having um a a separate cot that's at the same height that's kind of up to the edge of your bed is there any recommendations or things you've found through research is one better or safer than the other in terms of co-sleeping preferred kind of method of doing that yeah so I think it's important to distinguish here and um, the difference between co-sleeping and bed sharing so when we talk about co-sleeping we mean sleeping on a shared surface or within physical proximity with the baby so that could be in a co-sleeper like a three-sided bassinet that's attached to the bed or um, on a surface that's the same height as the bed like you just mentioned um, but it essentially means that the baby and the mother can be within physiological proximity so the baby can hear the mother's breathing the mother can hear the baby's breathing and they can touch um, throughout the night so the and um and we also mean sleeping on a chair or sleeping on a sofa when we talk about co-sleeping. When we talk about bed sharing, that's just parents sleeping in bed with their babies. So there's a slight difference between the two terms. Um, co-sleeping includes bed sharing. So, um, but I'll try and be sp specific um, with yeah. which, which things I mean. Um, but co-sleepers, so the three-sided bassinet co-sleepers, um, I think are really good options as the baby has their own sleep space they're generally considered safe but I think um, I've heard a lot of parents mention that they just end up bringing the baby into bed with them anyway because um, most of the time the baby wants physical contact or wants access to the breast and things like that so um, it's important to remember that even though you have a co-sleeper it doesn't mean you're not going to be bed sharing um, and I think we know that, well, the guidance says that sleeping or the baby having their own sleep surface is the safest space in the same room. Um, but also with the studies that we've done, so we did a study in hospitals where parents were given 
either a standalone cot. So this is a cot that's the same height as the bed, but has four walls, um, a three-sided clip-on bassinet or bed shared with their babies. And we used video to observe them on the ward and we could see that there was a real difference in the amount of breastfeeding that was done between the babies that were in the standalone cot, so the cot that had four walls, mm -hmm. and the babies that were bed sharing and in the three-sided cot. So when um, even having this small, this other wall, this fourth wall, that was acting as a physical barrier between the mothers and the babies, even though the mothers could reach over and touch the babies, when both the mother and the baby were asleep, this fourth wall was kind of blocking this physiological exchange. And when um, there was this unlimited contact, the chance for unlimited contact, so babies that were sleeping in bed with their parents and babies sleeping in the three-sided cot, there was much more contact and this kind of like synchrony. So mothers were touching babies, babies were close to their mothers and they could respond and pick up on feeding cues. So in the first hours of life, um, you could see parents were much more in tune with their babies feeding cues and this idea of like responsive caregiving was already being established whereas when there was this wall between the mothers and babies even though the babies were right next to the mothers the mothers uh, for example could were turning away from the babies to sleep which you don't really see with um well you don't see at all with bed sharing breastfeeding mothers mothers are always facing their babies when they sleep yeah okay that's really interesting isn't it that's really at the start of of life so has that has that study been big enough to be put into any kind of guidance for the hospital settings because I do often hear that people in the hospital are I've just said they're not allowed to have their baby in the bed that the baby must be in a separate cot and the cot is very like you say four-sided and separate and that's not really setting up that forward moving caring responsive breastfeeding journey in a positive way from the sound of that research. Yeah so um, after that research was done we did um, see a lot of hospitals adopt the three-sided bassinets. So um, that kind of encouraged them that there was more that they could do to encourage the initiation of breastfeeding and this, the establishment of responsive care in hospital. Um, unfortunately, they've kind of, so this research was done uh, 10 years or so now. And over the past 10 years, the company that make the three-sided cots has stopped making them. So hospitals can't source them anymore. And so a lot of hospitals that we know that adopted, that changed their policies have now just gone back to using standalone cots just literally because they can't buy them, which is a real shame. And um, they do complain to us the fact that they don't have them anymore. Um, but it's a potential business opportunity for anyone that would like one. Yeah. Because um, it's just, it's all, yeah, it's just to do with like, the, they've updated beds and they can't fit on the beds. And there's all these complicated things that are completely out of, um, people's control but actually yeah. do have an impact and for mothers that struggle with breastfeeding um, for them to be kind of taking on the blame for struggling with breastfeeding when actually there are all these factors and there are these things that can be done in the early hours that might just make that little bit of difference to encourage milk supply um, and things like and more opportunities for the baby to suckle 
um, I think really should be encouraged because we're not creating environments that are supporting breastfeeding initiation. No, and that's so, and it is really sad because, you know, I've had people, you know, people tell me that they feel guilty, they feel shame, they feel that they somehow failed um, and they didn't do enough. Um, and, and it's fallen to them to feel that way. And like you say, but we've stacked it all against them. You know, we, we've stacked the, the environment of being in a, in a hospital setting with other people and noises and brighter lighting and all of that is not, like you say, what instinctively where you would be with your baby. It would be dark and quiet and, and, and you would have time and it could, would feel private and you would be more relaxed and all of those things and you would have the baby close to you. And we've kind of taken all that away in part by, by, by having our baby, I suppose, by birthing them in these big public institutions and then not setting them up in a way that is conducive to to feeding them in the way that is you know the biological norm and then we're just starting from such a difficult place aren't we and then you know it's really it's really sad it's really you know impacts you know it definitely impacts women I know many many who this goes on to impact for a long time afterwards from something that's so simple um of having an open-sided cot beside the bed, you know, could lot. I mean, there's lots of other things that all add up to it, but it's it's yeah, it is such a shame. It's yeah, you're right. Something needs to be done about that when the research has shown that. Yeah, yeah it's really frustrating, and it just creates this like normative idea uh, that babies should have their own place to sleep, and that's normal. So from the moment people yeah. are having their babies. Um, I the research that I do is also looking um, at hos in hospital and how parent where parents put their babies after birth, and um, people have that now have this idea, or they'll say, "Oh, I got this cot. It looks a bit like the one that they gave us in hospital," or "Oh, it looks, um, oh, it's similar to the one that's here." And I think people think that they're getting that cot because it's been rigorously tested and it's evidence based, and it's actually just based on what the, what the hospital supplier has yeah. um and so it's yeah it's important to remember that that they it's just convenience and um you know being able to wheel the baby around um places and it's not necessarily about what where the best place for the baby and the mother to be yeah is, which is together yeah absolutely and and when so that's kind of starting off you know initially um as soon as baby's born and the first kind of initiation of feeding and the first night and then obviously um going home after that and then as baby gets a little bit older again people will say to me oh baby's come up to six months don't they need to be in their own room now i've heard that they need to be in their own room so i don't do it now they'll never move out they'll be in there forever um and there's like this six month thing that that's when babies don't need to be shouldn't be maybe they'll be too dependent upon you know the mother maybe they'll be too clingy all sorts all sorts of language comes out at this point um and people feel again it's a cultural thing that the baby they've been told or you know suggested by the people have the baby in its own room now what would you what does any of the research say about that or what is as we've said a cultural construct and what is actually a human normality yeah, I think, um, well, it's hard when b babies get older, they're, it's 
kind of like the influence of their biology gets less and their the you know the cultural environment that they're in gets more but i think um thinking about coping with nighttime care and sleep the sleep doesn't develop um babies aren't born with a circadian rhythm so they don't have an awareness of night and day it's something that they learn over the first year of life so um and people talk about these uh, things like sleep reg regressions mm -hmm. and they have these certain milestones and when you look at the evidence and when we've done studies and how babies actually sleep over the first year there's so much variation and there's some babies who are sleeping 20 hours and there are some babies that are sleeping three hours and that's over the first 12 months of life the variation doesn't change and there isn't really a consistent pattern so sleep regression kind of assumes that sleep's going forwards and actually it's like a roller coaster it just constantly goes up and down and um, I think having these milestones like six months that's the time when they're ready it's actually completely dependent on the individual baby and when they're ready babies all develop at different speeds um, say if they're they might be born slightly premature maybe their development is a few weeks behind their peers um, or maybe they're just developing really really fast and so to have these milestones can be really harmful because then parents feel like their babies aren't right and aren't are having problems and we know that it in babies can't be really be diagnosed with sleep problems because the variation is so huge there's no normative pattern of sleep that actually no baby can have a sleep problem and so babies might not be sleeping but that might that's due to the fact that they have they don't have an understanding of night and day and when we look at sleep over the 24 hour period maybe they're sleeping at other times just not at night and so and it, but it's really hard when people have to go to work and people have things to do in the day it's really really hard to manage but putting the baby in its own room isn't going to make it sleep better it's just going to create more work for you to get up and go yeah. and tend to the baby throughout the night and so I think that's like a, diff a shift your mindset that it's not going to encourage the baby to be independent it's just going to create more work and more stress and the more stress there is around sleep the more the less sleep is going to happen and so I think and I think it's for parents to to think about oh how do I sleep as an adult I have to be relaxed it has to be dark yeah. I have to like build up to going to sleep I can't just be put down from being in a uh, an intense state you know crying you know if they're crying um, you can't just be in an, an intense state of anxiety and then immediately go to sleep there's a process that has to happen and most of the time as an adult I don't sleep for eight hours at a time I might wake up throughout the night and go back to sleep um, but I just don't cry loudly when yeah. I do it which is the thing yeah um, that is the issue yeah and I guess you know they obviously could be cold or too warm but they can't tell you that because they can't talk or they might just you know not feel safe we've got to be safe to fall asleep haven't we so I guess a baby knows it's safe when its caregiver is close so when it can hear your breathing smell you sense that you're there it knows it's safe to sleep but if it's in a room on its own and it can't hear or smell or feel or you know anything else then it's 
potentially going to wake up and go, oh, I don't know if this is safe. I'm going to cry to make my caregiver come and reassure me so that I can sleep. Exactly. And when we're thinking about sudden infant death syndrome and safe sleep, we know that deep sleep is um, a risk factor for SIDS. So anything that promotes prolonged deep sleep puts a baby at risk. Um, and so um, frequent arousals, so babies waking frequently throughout the night, is a protective thing that babies will do. And when we see mothers and babies sleeping together, you can see that mothers actually uh, wake up and arouse their babies throughout the night. So this is so that, um, well, it's hypothesized that this is to um, kind of protect the baby from having deep sleep for too long, because um, one of the theorized mechanisms for SIDS is that babies, there's something happening physiologically with the baby that is blunting their arousal so that one time they might go to sleep too deeply and then not be able to wake up from that. Um, well, actually, yeah, so the regular waking is a safety mechanism of sorts for small babies. It's a good thing, even though when you're very, very tired and sleep deprived yourself, it seems like a really you just want the baby to sleep. But yeah, it's actually a positive mechanism that's inbuilt for a, for a reason in small babies. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So it's just understanding, isn't it, what's normal and what's actually good, because people will say, is your baby good? Is your got a good baby? Do they, do they sleep well? As if that's, a, you know, that's the thing we should all be hoping for. But actually, that isn't necessarily like a, a good thing at all. And a baby can't be bad, isn't bad because it doesn't sleep. It's just being a normal baby, doing what a baby does, doesn't know night from day, doesn't, you know, wants to be close to you and all those, and all those things. But it's difficult when you're tired and people are telling you all sorts of things. Um, to work out what's the right thing isn't it for mothers and for parents yeah i think one thing that we can do not as parents but as people anybody who is talking to a parent is to change the way that we're talking to them about their baby and rather than asking these questions that assume that um sleeping for long periods of time is a goal or is normal rather than saying things like does he does he sleep through the night yet and ask um, how are you coping with the night waking? And so we're framing the night waking as normal in by asking that question. And so the parent, it gives the parent the opportunity to say, oh, actually, it's really hard. The waking's really hard rather than thinking, oh no, I've failed because my baby isn't sleeping. Yeah. And um, so just these things that we do that we don't even realize that we do but it creates all these assumptions about what our baby should be doing and then it creates all this pressure for parents and it creates anxiety about sleep which is then mm -hmm. counterproductive for sleep yeah absolutely so think, yeah. yeah language is so important and you really pick up on that when you are um tired and when your hormones are still up up in the air and when you've got a small baby to care for that can be quite overwhelming how somebody phrases something um can can really make a huge difference a huge difference can't it because yeah that can just that that feeling that you've done something wrong or you failed or is is not a positive thing obviously at all for any new parent that's not that's not the language that's not the support that you um that you need absolutely right yeah definitely 
So is there a time, like, is there a, a preferred time, a peak time that babies need to move out of the, your room into their room? Or is it sort of something that you, you know, do when it's right for you as a family? I think it's completely up to parents. And um, I don't think it's fair to, again, I don't think we should be giving parents these kind of milestones that they should be reaching because every baby's different. Every parent, every family's different. Parents might have their own ideas about how they want to parent their baby and that should be respected too. So um, I think not being judgmental if parents want to sleep close to their baby. Um, I think not being judgmental if they don't, as long as um, they're doing it after six months and um, because we know that it's a potential risk for babies to be sleeping alone in a room alone under six months. And so I think all we can really do is support parents in their decisions and to try and um, normalise infant night waking so that um, they don't feel like they're doing something wrong when their baby's waking up. I think by saying you should be moving your baby out the room by this certain time, is just creating uh, an environment where they might get, they might fail at it, and then that's yeah. going to have issues. And I think, personally, I don't see anything wrong with having the baby in the room for as long as they want it in the room. Um, yeah, and I think for babies, for young children that don't have language yet and can't understand what's being said to them, like you said, they can be afraid when they're on their own. They don't have that reassurance and they can't conceptualize why have I been left here why have I been left on my own mm. and actually um I think until children can have that kind of exchange and can understand that they're not being abandoned they're just being left to sleep in a room on their own then uh parents shouldn't be encouraged to do that but obviously it's parents choice and sometimes there are other things going on uh, other responsibilities happening that mean that parents just have to do the best that they can and get on with it yeah I think it's really hard isn't it it's that thing of knowing that all babies are different and whatever book you pick up that might have a theory or, or a way of doing it that your baby will never be that model baby in that book no baby will ever be that they won't do have those milestones or those developmental leaps or sleep regressions or whatever people want to call them at exactly the same point and it's very hard for mothers to not compare to other people with other babies of a similar age or or whatever else but it's really detrimental generally because they're all different and it isn't anything you've generally done or it isn't you know it's just that they're different human beings and so they have different ways of sleeping and they'll do things at different times so I'm a mother of twins and um they're were they are still different sleepers and they were very much different sleepers to start with and one of them did go into our own room at six months and the other one I co-slept with for two years and I feel guilty about the one that I slept with for two years the one that I didn't but she just was fine and happy to do that and um her dad would put her to, to bed and, and the other one would not sleep and would feed all the time and it just got us more sleep and so I co-slept with one for two years and um not not with the other one only for six months but um they're just different people it was just they still 
they both sleep together now in a room in a big mattress on the floor not with us um you know and when I decided I had enough at two years we were fine we we, we got over that it didn't take too long but I think people worry that if I don't do it now are they going to be like 15 and sleeping in my bed you know am I ever going to get them out when do I get my bed back so that's the kind of worry I think that people have that they've missed the opportunity but you know my children wouldn't want to well they might want to but they're, they're older now but they then you know they're quite happy in their own room that's not wasn't a problem yeah I think it's easy to say with hindsight when you're in it it feels like it's going on and on and it's the longest thing in the world yeah. and then once it's over you look back and think oh that was only a year a couple of years of their life um but I think it's so we uh, also look a bit into the historical perspective of how we get ideas about parenting and how where where we get our cultural values from and um it's interesting to look at infant sleep experts in the 50s and 60s who are promoting these ideas that babies need to be independent so um i'm not going to name drop actually i'm not going to give them <laughs> the uh <laughs> Anyway, they give um, these ideas of independence and these are kind of like all based in this capitalist work in, uh, environment that we live in, that humans need to be independent, they need to be self-sufficient and um, babies from as young as possible need to be independent, self-sufficient. And we know uh, Sigmund Freud said that babies only wanted food from their mother they didn't get any comfort from closeness or anything like that and said that the only love that babies have for their parents is because they give them food and so we had all these ideas emerging in wow. the 40s and 50s um uh, you know these ideas about leaving babies in the garden to exercise their lungs um, only that dads should only shake the hands of their babies and mothers should only kiss them on their foreheads um, and these ideas, they were really embedded at the time. And so you can see a lot of these, these ideas still exist because they get passed down, like any kind of folklore from grandmothers to mothers to, well, pe mother, people that are becoming mothers now. And so the, we do still have these ideas in our society and they don't come from evidence. They don't, there's no evidence that says, oh, if you don't get your baby out of your bed after six months, they're never going to get out of your bed. They're from people, mostly men, coming into this country saying, <laughs> I'm an expert. I know. Listen to me. I think this. And actually, none of that was based in any evidence. That was just based on ideas about how a productive member of society should live and that we should be raising our babies to live like that from as early as possible. And uh, one of them, their children have written many, many books about their lives in therapy and how their dad ruined their lives by raising them in this way. Wow, so there we go. Capitalism and patriarchy once again. <laughs> yes. Yes, I could say a lot about that in lots of most aspects of life and to do with certainly with birth and um, parenting. Wow, that's unbelievable isn't it really and really sad really sad but you're right it gets passed down and I think this is interesting and it's really hard when a family member so say your mother when you become a mother says well it was good enough for you that's what I did with you and when you want to do it differently it feels like you're sort of 
you know, it's like saying that they were wrong and that can be very difficult. And just that, just knowing that the science has moved on, that what we know now has moved on, um, but it can be quite hard because, you know, they can feel, oh, well now I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have left you out in the garden. I shouldn't have done these things. But of course at the time, that's, that's the knowledge and the information they were being given. And they weren't aware that it wasn't based in the science and there wasn't any research. So it, it's difficult, isn't it, to go against um, the cultural norm, but also against people who are trying to support you and say, well, actually, I'm going to do this differently in all aspects of parenting. But yeah, in this in particular, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and people who raised you and it's most of us are generally okay. And yes. so it's hard to then think, well, um, I am okay and my baby should, you know, if I raise my baby in the same way. But it's less about, I think, philosophies of raising children and more about just being able to get through the day when we're talking about sleep and how to cope. And um, I think most, we know that uh, anxiety about sleep and about making your baby sleep for longer can be really counterproductive and so uh, we can see again this is kind of a cross-cultural thing that there are many people many cultures throughout the world that don't think twice about baby sleep night waking is normalized and um, they just come into it with this attitude it's completely normal we're just gonna do things like co-sleeping that will mitigate night waking and we'll get through it and most of the time it's the attitude and understanding that it's a normal practice and nothing's wrong with your baby and you're not doing anything wrong if they are waking throughout the night that can that seems to really help people yeah yeah and it doesn't mean it's not difficult because it is difficult getting through when you feel you're waking all the time and you want a more solid block of sleep so it is hard but that it is normal thing that your baby's doing and you're you don't have to train your baby this whole idea that the baby needs sleep training and the whole industry that is around that and obviously variations and methods of that um but that's something i think that often mothers and parents expect that you need to train the baby to sleep and that's again you know um different ways of doing that some of them are we know definitely not definitely not good for the baby and often very hard on the parents too yeah they are and um yeah I mean there's different methods of sleep training and different effectiveness um but most of what we know about sleep training is in older children so not babies there hasn't been much research done about babies um and it might be effective, but it is emotionally difficult for parents and babies and um, can be a real struggle to get to a point where it is effective. And so there are, yeah, it's just worth considering that it's important to understand that night waking is normal. Um, and so throwing money on products and services to try and fix that most of the time is going to be futile and ultimately your baby's going to grow up and you will get out of it but it's really hard at the time when you're being sold something a product um someone I was talking to a healthcare professional about a 
a thousand cots, like these really advanced cots that are thousands of pounds that play white music and all these different things that parents are buying because they're absolutely desperate. Yeah, yeah. And there's no there's no guarantee that it's going to help in any way. And all these products are doing are replicating you. They're replicating the human body. And so you could give your baby all of that for free <laughs> without having to buy all these products just by keeping them close to you. Yeah. Yeah. And things like um, people have like little pods, don't they, to put the baby in and, and things like that are supposed to keep them safer. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think it's also worth remembering that mo most, I'd probably say all products on the market aren't tested for safety by uh, when they're used. Most of the safety standards are just based on the kind of products, uh, the chemicals that are used in manufacture and not actually on how they're being used and whether they're safe. And a lot of them have notices on them saying, um, don't leave your baby in this product unattended, which kind of acts as a caveat <sighs> to say that uh, it's safe, but, um, you know, falling asleep and leaving your baby in that product is leaving it unattended. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know anything about a lot of these products and they can be produced and sold without any evidence of their safetyness or um, efficacy. So yeah. it's important to remember that. Yeah. And just thinking back to like you were saying about the, um, you know, other parts of the world where they do still, the non-industrialized countries, they do still culturally, naturally co-sleep and the positions they take and, and all of that. And they don't have these extra products and, and pods and things like that. They just, you know, do it in a very basic way. And that has, you know, good outcomes for for babies. So it's kind of almost like getting back to basics, isn't it, in a way? Yeah, I think it is in a way. I think, yeah, we can be seen to be overcomplicating things. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, the industry has gone a bit mad, especially with parents. We have this lack of kind of basic education about being parents. We don't get taught about parenting at school. We don't, I know personally, I'm the youngest sibling. I don't have much, I didn't grow up with much family around. I didn't, I di haven't really grown up seeing parenting. And so um, it's, it's difficult to then know what to do and to know what you need and when you're getting told sold things and marketed all these things I think for parents they they think they need it all and I know lots of parents that buy all of these things and then end up using none of them yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah it's it's really tricky to know what what you need and what you don't need and what's worth it and what's not but most of the time it's probably not going to yeah, it's probably not exactly yeah it is it's it's a, a big cash cow isn't it to some extent certain things for sure brilliant oh Alice that's so really so helpful thank you hugely thank you so much for joining me I've got one last question if you if you don't mind um which is if there was one kind of piece of information 
that you could give to a to a mother about baby sleep what would it what would it be if there was just one like golden nugget um what what would that what would that one thing be I think it would be that night waking is normal and there's nothing wrong with your baby um and that trust your instincts um yeah and that most of the time every baby is different and most of the time you'll get through it and it will get better <laughs> brilliant that says it all that's great oh that's fantastic thank you so much for your time i'm sure this is going to help so many people just really understanding what what normal is what what okay is what the science tells us and just dispelling some of those myths and things that that women and parents have heard so that's really appreciated thank you so much for joining me thank you um Oh, we have some resources for oh, parents. Yes, please, yes. please. I will put links too, but yeah, please let yes. me know what they so, are. Yes, so um, we run a resource called the Baby Sleep Info Source, which is a website. It's also called Basis. Yeah. Um, and it has loads of information for parents and healthcare professionals. So we've summarised the research and it's all evidence-based information on infant sleep. There are um, information sheets that you can download on there. There's loads of resources. And we also have an infant sleep app that you can also download. Um, and that will, it has something called a bed sharing quiz. So you can go through that and see what risk factors your baby might have for SIDS um, whilst bed sharing. Right. And um, it just helps to explain why uh, your baby might be at increased risk if they are at increased risk and how you could co-sleep safely that's so useful that's so brilliant yeah definitely I've been on the basis side it's excellent and those worksheets are um, those information sheets really helpful but I think the app and just being able to put that info in and getting an answer out um, will be super helpful for people that's really marvellous great great thank you so much Alice that's super thank you for your time Thank no <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening. It's great to have you here and I really do appreciate your support too. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and if you have, then please don't forget to subscribe. And if you could leave a review or share with other mothers and mothers-to-be that you know, well, I'd be eternally grateful. You can join me as well on my online platform at www.formodernmothers.com where you'll find show notes and lots more goodness and resources all about thriving and making your own unique path as a mother in the modern world as well as details of all my programs online courses my classes and coaching packages too and do follow me over on instagram too at four modern mothers or on facebook and be part of my social community i'd love to connect with you there take care amazing woman